0: Tuesday Cafe with Sean Canan. We're broadcasting live on March 14th from the studios of WMNF Tampa. Later on in the show, we're going to speak with a mother who is moving out of state because she doesn't think that Florida is safe, is a safe place to raise her transgender daughter. So I hope you stay tuned for that. First up, we're going to get the latest information about Pinellas County revoking a grant to a black-run community radio station. Last month, the Pinellas County Commission voted to take away funding that it had approved last year for a radio station that serves black communities in St. Petersburg. The radio station is called Black Power 96 WBPU 96.3 FM, and it broadcasts from the Uhuru House in St. Petersburg. And joining me now is Akili Anai to talk about Black Power 96 and about events that led up to their grant money being rescinded. Akili is Director of Media and Communications for the African People's Socialist Party. She's also editor of the Burning Spear newspaper and a former St. Pete City Council candidate. Welcome to WMNF's Tuesday Cafe, Akili.
1: Good morning, Sean. Thank you for having me.
0: I'm glad you could come on the show today. Thanks so much for joining us. So last year, the radio station... um, Black Power 96 applied for and was granted money. So before we get into all that news, the recent news, let's just back up a little bit and tell people what about what is Black Power 96?
1: So Black Pride 96 Radio is an institution of the nonprofit African People's Education and Defense Fund. And this nonprofit that's existed for, uh, I believe, 27 years um, has the mission to serve um, the black community and defend the human and civil rights of the black community um, in the form of education, healthcare, and economic development. And so this radio uh, project really was um, a, uh, you know, something that was necessary to be able to provide a vehicle and a platform for the Southside Black community in St. Petersburg, but also to a broader African community and population throughout the world. And so um, this station has been around now for six years. We first went live on air in 2017 and, you know, have been the venue to provide a space for cultural performers, artists and musicians, um, local small businesses with small advertising budgets through our underwriting and business support programs and has been an opportunity for people to learn skills that they normally would have to pay thousands of dollars for in a college classroom to learn how you know basic skills of engineering and radio broadcasting to be able to have their own show um, as well as having emergency alerts for things happening in the community or you know, weather alerts and COVID, you know, when COVID was hitting to be able to serve as the vehicle that would be able to provide the insight and information necessary to protect and defend our community, which is what APDF has set out to do.
0: And I imagine that I think you broadcast on the internet as well, but tell us about your FM signal when people tune in their radios to 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, about, about what's the range? Where can people get Black Power Radio?
1: So, it's about a 10 mile radius. It's in Southside St. Petersburg and is a low power FM station. Um, And uh, it covers like the majority of the Southside, which has historically and is presently still the largest concentrated Black population in the city of St. Pete. And it also reaches places uh, like downtown and it even uh, gets a a signal um, as you start crossing the Skyway. So, you know, from uh, those. (laughs) different, uh, areas of the the geography of St. Petersburg, this is where, um, you know, it's hitting. And, but we also have a radio app. So like you said, it can be listened to online, downloaded in, uh, through black car 96 radio app and can be heard uh, virtually anywhere. So,
0: our guest is Akili Anai, Director of Media and Communications for the African People's Socialist Party. I'm Sean Canaan, and you're listening to Tuesday Cafe, broadcasting from WMNF in Tampa. Last year, the radio station Black Power 96 applied for and was granted money by the Pinellas County for, from federal funds, the American Rescue Plan Act, that's COVID-19 relief money. What were these funds for and how much was the grant for?
1: So uh, the particular grant that we applied for small purchases, uh, capital improvement grant um, was we had applied in one almost thirty seven thousand. I think it was like thirty six thousand eight hundred dollars that had been awarded to Black per 96 radio uh, to improve equipment and functioning within the radio station itself. And as you've mentioned, these were f- uh, federal funds, uh, COVID relief uh, dollars um that uh in what was called arpa um and so you know that's what um, we were we put an application for we ranked four out of 55 applications um you know uh by the 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 granting uh institution while well, the the agency that was subcontracted to carry out the grant process had recommended us uh, to the pinellas county commission the commission actually voted to approve the funds um, uh, late last year, uh, before this February 14th vote that they took to revoke those resources,
0: and that vote in February that you're talking about, I guess was um, instigated perhaps by Republican County, Pinellas County Commissioner Chris Latvala. He suggested that the funding was cut. Well, um, first he, compl- he You know, he criticized the, the Uhuru group, which we'll talk about in just a second. Um, but then later he said. He the his explanation was the cut because he thinks that radio equipment is not a good use for COVID 19 relief funds, that it should go towards social services to help people. But earlier you, you mentioned to me that this was a capital improvement grant.
1: Correct. And and when we look at the other awardees uh that did did not have their funds revoked, I mean it's for Capital improvement funds. I mean, it was for equipment and secure cyber, you know, security uh, equipment and things of that nature. So clearly, this is not something that was done because he has some belief that these resources should be used for something else. The grant was for capital improvement funds, and none of no other person's funding was revoked. So, uh, despite the fact that they also are requesting um, capital improvement, so this is clearly a very politically motivated attack.
0: And so let's get to that part right now. The uh, Black Power 96 is closely affiliated with the Uhuru movement. It, it broadcasts out of the Uhuru house on 18th Avenue South in South St. Pete. What, what is the connection with the Uhuru movement? And maybe you can start with just saying what, what is the Uhuru movement for people who might not know?
1: Yeah, the Uhuru movement is an organization that's been around for 50 years that has, you know, fought for and defended the rights of Black people to have self-determination and power over our own lives. And that, you know, any um person who, you know, has an understanding about what it means to be a dignified human being, um, you know, has an interest in having power to be able to feed, clothe, and house themselves and to take care of their community. And this is something that the Black community just wants to be able to have the ability to do. And that's what the Uhuru movement has fought for, economic development in the hands of the Black community. It was founded by um, chairman Amalia Shetella, Amalia Shatella was born and raised uh, in St. Petersburg, Florida, and really led, you know, the movement here when we talk about the civil rights movement and, uh, you know, the Black Power movement of the 50s and 60s, the Chairman Amalia Shatella, he was in the mix of all of these things. So this is what the Uhuru movement is. Again, it's existed for 50 years, not just in St. Petersburg, but throughout the world. And um, the and so, yes, the Black Power 96 radio um, is affiliated with the Uhuru movement, and it's really important for us too because and we can see now the, the significance of an institution like this, where the Uhuru movement has access to, because when we look at the assault that's being made right now in education on history being denied. You know, from people. The fact is, we have to be able to have a platform for the Black community to tell its history, to tell its story, and to have a vehicle for the people in the community to use to be able to put out their own voice. And the fact is that these major corporate-owned radio stations don't allow us that opportunity on the one hand. And again, we have the situation where there's a constant attack historically on Black people for the rights to free speech, the right to freedom of association, and the right to freedom of assembly. So we have to have our own and institutions, rather than asking for someone else to do it for us, we want to do it for ourselves. So this is what the radio station then becomes for our community. So this is who the Uhuru movement has been, a struggle. To be self-determining, to do for self. We don't want to be welfare recipients. We don't want to be at the mercy of the local government. We want to be able to do for self. That's what the movement has always strived for, and so that's what Black Pride ninety six Radio really represents: doing for self. And um, you know, so that's this is the relationship the uh, affiliation. And yes, we are able to broadcast the speeches of chairman and Martin Luther King and Malcolm X and, you know, others. And, you know, again, it's just a really important institution where the Black community now has the ability to exercise these so-called rights that we're supposed to have as citizens of this country.
0: Our guest is Akili Anai, director of media and communication for the African People's Socialist Party. And we're talking about Black Power 96, a radio station, a community radio station, Low Power FM in south side of St. Pete, broadcasting to a lot of parts of St. Petersburg, of course. And I'm Sean Kanan. This is Tuesday Cafe broadcasting from WMNF in the Tampa studios here. And we're talking about when the funding was cut, there was a grant that was awarded by Pinellas County, and then it was cut kind of abruptly this February, last month. And so get into the politics. What was said about why the funding was cut that has nothing to do with that if the fact that it was for infrastructure that, that leads you to believe that politics was involved in getting this funding cut?
1: Yes. So, um, well, I want to say that on February 9th, before they had this meeting on the 14th, they had a meeting where they really interrogated the uh, agency that they subcontracted to carry out this process um, and asking them, how could this organization be selected? And the arguments that they were making had nothing to do with what the qualifications and requirements were in the grant itself. And um, it was based on Chris, uh, as you mentioned, Latvala, um, uh, who sits on the commission and also joined in with him was Renee Flowers, um, who has, you know, historically betrayed and, you know, have, you know, just anyway. This is just something that, you know, we recognize as forces who have always attacked the black community and uh, specifically the Uhura movement has who has been trying to make this stuff happen for our community um, in where they won't. And so uh, they, you know, spearheaded really this attack, you know, citing, I mean, real slander, uh, citing the recent FBI raids that were made on um, the Uhura movement on July 29th of 2022. Uh, they were, you know, again, slandering, you know, the Uhura movement, uh, saying things like, you know, being affiliated with, even though it's something they could not prove. Uh, being anti-Semitic and, you know, all of these other kinds of accusations. And basically it boiled down to, well, they've criticized our friends and our colleagues and this is something we have the right to do. We have a right to have a different opinion than the for, than the Republican uh, 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 Public uh, Pinellas County Commission. You know, we have a right to have a difference of opinion. And so, yes, we've had a difference of opinion uh, with these forces on these questions uh, regarding their colleagues and whoever. And so this was really exposed in that February 9th meeting, saying that no organization, affiliated with the Uhuru movement should ever be considered for funding. This is what Latvala says. And, um, and you know, Renee also says, well, my organizations weren't funded, but this isn't about that. This is whether or not APDF met the requirements of the grant, just like everybody else and a ranking of four out of 55 applications says they met the requirements. And, and, and so that February 9th meeting though, revealed the real political basis for the revoking of the funds.
0: Our guest is Akili Anai, Director of Media and Communications for the African People's Socialist Party. And we have a couple more minutes left with you, Akili, but we're going to get into a little bit more detail about some of the things that you just brought up. And that is, uh, I guess, maybe to set the the stage for all of this. In early July of last year, a man with a flamethrower set fire to the flag flying over the Uhuru Uhuru house. And then shortly thereafter, there was a raid by federal agents in July uh, on the Uhuru movements. And they, the, the FBI said it had to do with the Uhuru movement's alleged connections to a Russian national who is accused of working with U.S. groups to spread pro-Russia propaganda and interfere with elections. There have been no new criminal charges since the indictment last year of that Russian national. whose His name is Alexander Ionov. And the FBI is saying that ionov off- offered assistance and campaign finance to a, a candidate who was running uh, with the Uhuru movement at, for St. Petersburg. Is that are they talking there about Jesse Neville running for mayor a few years ago? And what can you say about all those allegations?
1: Yeah. So they're talking about uh, both Jesse and myself. Um, We've been characterized as what they call unindicted co-conspirators. So not yet indicted, um, uh, you know, conspirators. And um, they're claiming, as you've mentioned, um, that our election here in 2017 and in 2019, uh, when we ran, which put forward a platform of reparations to the Black community, the first that was ever done in this country, um, that this was some plot of Russia. And we've, you know, first of all, want to just say that those allegations are it's absolute bogus it's a lie but we don't even need to say that because it's absurd the uhuru movement as i mentioned has been here for 50 years forwarding the struggle. And we've gone to every arena. We've tried to use up any amount of democratic space that's been made available to our people to be able to make this struggle. And one of those spaces was the electoral process. We fought and died for the right to vote, but we didn't just fought for the right to vote. We fought to be able to participate in the electoral process, which is what we did in 2017. And we're, and, and so what's, we're, now what's being accused is that black people first of all don't have the ability or or wherewithal to know that we're oppressed and and then we don't have the ability to struggle somebody else has to tell us from russia that you know we are oppressed and this is how to struggle so not only is it bogus but it's racist to say that black people don't have the ability to do this because we did in 2017 we ran for office we put forward these critical questions so i just wanted to um to say that Yeah, on February, uh, not not February, July, as you mentioned, July 2nd, somebody comes out to the Uru house in broad daylight with a military grade flamethrower and torches the red, black and green flag, which represents the self-determination and the identity of black people, you know, that I've been discussing up to now. And in any other ordinary circumstance, if somebody came out and torched the, 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 the the red, white and blue flag that waved, you know, just down the street. We'd be looking at a whole different situation. We'd be looking at a hate crime, which was not the situation on july uh, july 2nd and then july 29th the fbi comes in and very violent military raids in both st petersburg and in st louis holding the chairman and members of our movement at gunpoint stealing our laptops our phones files from our buildings you know sectioning off the who house here in st pete and you know for six hours kept this building on lockdown covering up security cameras so you could not see what they were doing and the extent of the damage and, and stealing, you know, um, material from this uh, building as well. And as you've mentioned, no criminal charges have come yet, but there are serious indications that they intend to, you know, bring those charges and indict. Chairman Amali as well as myself, Jesse Neville, as you mentioned, and um, another one of our comrades, Penny Hess, um, and others, you know, who, uh, you know, are, has this threat of indictments looming overhead and when we look at the real basis for this it's not because of russia because the u.s government is not going to st petersburg russia they came to st petersburg florida in the impoverished black community to make this attack it's about russia no it's about the black community and it's about the uhuru movement which has had had the audacity to fight for the black community despite the kinds of threats of imprisonment and assassination that we've seen historically
0: so when this Russian national, Alexander Ionov came to you and offered assistance and campaign finance, what was your response to him?
1: I, I want to say very clearly, we have never accepted money resources for our electoral campaign. That was a grassroots campaign that people, everyday people, working people contributed to. I mean, we you're looking at a situation where we were running in a race where the mayoral candidates collectively raised over a million dollars. One of the most expensive electoral campaign, mayoral uh, races in history. We were a grassroots campaign. Jesse and I combined made, I think, something like $14,000. That's That was the people's money that came to support these campaigns because the people believed in what we were saying. So we didn't have the backing of the lobbyists and the super PACs and all that kind of stuff. We didn't have that. I don't know what the paper trail is for those million-dollar candidates, but I know that our grassroots campaign that raised $14,000, that's supposed to represent some kind of Russian interference? $14,000, that's, that's kind of sad, you know, if, if this is what the allegations are. So, you know, again, we did not, those allegations, that is false. It is a lie. It is bogus. And they they can't, they won't be able to prove that. But, you know, that's another story. But the, I just wanted to be able to say that.
0: Well, I want to thank you so much for coming on WMNF's Tuesday Cafe, Akile.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Sean.
0: Akile Anai is director of media and communications for the African People's Socialist Party. Akile is also editor of the Burning Spear newspaper and a former St. Petersburg City Council candidate. We're going to go right now to our next guest, who is an organizer and a parent in the Tampa Bay area who is leaving Florida with her transgender daughter because of policies championed by Governor Ron DeSantis. I'm Sean Canaan, and you're listening to Tuesday Cafe. We're broadcasting to you from the studios of WMNF in Tampa. So... Let me, let me go now to our next guest, who is Heather St. Amand, and she's an organizer and a parent in the Tampa Bay area. She wrote a column in the Tampa Bay Times that she's leaving Florida with her transgender daughter because of policies championed by DeSantis. Welcome to WMNF's Tuesday Cafe, Heather.
2: Hi, Sean. Thank you so much for having me.
0: I'm glad you could join us. And I wish it were bet- under better circumstances. So you've made the decision to move out of the state because things in Florida are so bad for your family. Tell us about it.
2: Yeah, um, and it was a really, really tough decision. Florida and the Tampa Bay area, this is all I know. This is my home. This is where my parents are and are still going to be and most of my family. But I have a teenage trans daughter, and she's not safe here anymore. Um, DeSantis has made it his mission to make Florida unsafe for both trans and non-binary folks, and just the LGBTQ community in general.
0: Yesterday, we uh, we heard from the Florida Senate. There was a Senate panel where this was uh, this bill advanced in this Senate panel. Judges can now consider. Well, when, if this bill becomes law, judges could consider parents' objections to medical treatments such as puberty blockers when they're modifying or deciding custody agreements for transgender children under a measure that was approved yesterday by this Senate committee. I think the vote was eight to three along party lines. Just one, one example of the kind of many uh, bills that, that focus on transgender and, and people and especially transgender youth. And you're saying that this is affecting your family. And if these bills get passed or maybe even some of the bills that have already become law in Florida are just going to make it impossible for you and your family to continue to live here.
2: Absolutely. And um, I don't know if you know that. Well, I'm sure you know that they just filed a bill um, recently, SB 1674, um, where people are going to be able to challenge folks in bathrooms. It's it's where you can only go your assigned, you know, gender at birth into those bathrooms. Who's going to be policing that? Like that's just going to make vigilantes out of regular folks and put trans folks in even more harm's way.
0: And we heard from a parent in the Florida panhandle who spoke yesterday in the Florida legislature. Her name is Denise Barber, and uh, I'm quoting uh, from the news service of Florida here. She said, the language in this bill, the bill, not the one that you just referred to about the bathrooms, but the one about the medical treatment, the language in this bill is scary. It's horrific. I'm scared to death for my trans son and my trans." granddaughter. And I'm wondering if it's time for me to leave my home state where I've lived my whole life. So it's not just you, uh, Heather, it's other parents in Florida, here in this case in the panhandle. And I'm sure that this isn't the first time they've faced adversity in the panhandle, but they're saying maybe this is the limit. Now we can't really live in what's called free Florida anymore.
2: And it's not free anymore. It's not. That's the most ridiculous slogan that DeSantis is touting this place is becoming less free by the day um when my child came out to me at 12 as trans i knew that she didn't want to be here anymore if i couldn't intervene and get her gender-affirming care if we couldn't stop puberty in its tracks and allow her that time and space to breathe i don't know that my daughter would be here anymore as a parent that's not something i could accept so of course, I'm going to follow my medical team's advice and we're going to do everything that we can to keep my daughter whole, healthy and happy because she's perfect just the way she is.
0: Our guest is Heather St. Amand, an organizer and a parent in the Tampa Bay area. She is leaving Florida with her transgender daughter because of policies championed by Governor Ron DeSantis. And this is Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Canan. We're broadcasting from the studios of WMNF in Tampa, Let's back up a second. You mentioned that your daughter is, and your team of medical professionals recommended gender-affirming care to stop puberty. So tell us about that. A lot of us might not be familiar with these terms or might not know what they exactly mean. So what what kind of gender-affirming care are you talking about?
2: Absolutely. Um, I am an open book. We've been very transparent. Um, when she was 12, we were able to get her started on Lupron, Um a pediatric dose and what Lupron is it's actually um this is uh an off-label use for it it's actually used um for folks that are um trying to inhibit um testosterone based cancers from occurring it it stops testosterone production um so it's used as a as a cancer drug um All this medication does is put a pause button. It just pauses the testosterone production. As soon as you stop taking it, the testosterone production resumes. So people falsely think that this is some irreversible thing that causes damage. It's a pause button that allows for these children to not have to grow into a body that they don't identify with. It gives them time and space to grow. It's nothing irreversible. It's nothing people think that we're out here mutilating young people. That's not accurate. Giving somebody breathing room and a pause, that's gender affirming care. Um, As far as hormones go, hormones weren't started right away. That's not something that was started until after the teen years and because of bone density. You just have to make sure that you know, for other reasons, obviously, but for bone density reasons, you need to do that as well.
0: And all of this, as you kind of alluded to earlier, is under medical supervision. There's there's a doctor Absolutely. or a team of doctors, perhaps, I don't know, uh, That's that's making sure that all of this is in the best health interests of your daughter.
2: Absolutely. And when she first came out to me, we happened to have a pediatrician appointment like a few days later. And I said, you know what, I bet you have questions that I can't answer. Would you be okay with us talking to your pediatrician so that we can get some guidance? Our pediatrician was amazing. We then got referred to an even more specialist pediatrician, a psychologist who is amazing, and a a fabulous pediatric endocrinologist. This team helped me save my daughter's life, and I will be forever indebted to them. Just as recently... As this past spring, I went to make an appointment for my daughter with my endocrinologist, with her endocrinologist. We were told because of her diagnosis and the new laws, they couldn't see anyone at that pediatric endocrinologist anymore with her diagnosis. This is the endocrinologist that she's been seeing since she was 12 years old. All because of this Florida state law.
0: Let's go to hear more about what the law that was being considered in a Florida Senate panel was yesterday. We're, we have our partners at WFSU in Tallahassee, and they're, here's what they reported on what happened yesterday in the legislature. A bill that codifies a ban on gender-affirming care for transgender kids got its first hearing in the state legislature yesterday. Uh, the reporter, Regan McCarthy, is telling us that the measure comes as the Florida Board of Medicine's ban will take effect this coming Thursday. a
3: ban on gender-affirming care such as puberty blockers for Floridians under 18, it provides a limited exception for some youth whose treatment is already underway. Members of the public spoke at the hearing and Democratic State Senator Tracy Davis said she heard one overarching message.
1: All I could hear was love me as I am. Love me as I am. Words
3: hold an incredible amount of power. And that's something that I think this legislature should remember. Davis said just by hearing the bill, lawmakers are creating rhetoric that threatens transgender people. I'm Regan McCarthy in Tallahassee.
0: And I'm Sean Canaan, and I'm broadcasting from the studios of Tampa, WMNF Tampa, that is. Heather St. Amand is my guest, and she's an organizer and parent in the Tampa Bay area. She's writing, she writes that she's leaving Florida with her transgender daughter because of policies championed by Governor DeSantis. While we were playing that story about what the Florida legislature did yesterday, Heather, I saw you nodding your head in agreement with the, uh, with the, the, the Democratic state representative who was saying that all these speakers are just saying that they want— you to love them, that they want to be loved the, the way they are. So uh, why were you nodding?
2: Just want to be loved and accepted and just be, just be who they are. Like, how is it wrong just to be, just to be?
0: What would a bill like this, if it be, does become law, if it means that, you know, now judges can take into, uh, in, into account, um when they're deciding things like custody, How would this impact a family like yours?
2: Um, It would impact our family greatly. Her father and I didn't see eye to eye on a lot of things. He is now on board, Um, but it could have been ugly. I mean, I'm the primary parent, um, but yeah, that could have been very ugly. And this is going to traumatize a lot of children. It's very traumatic already already to to not identify with the body that you're in but to have all of the noise surrounding it it's traumatizing so not only is it going to be you know harder for parents to do the things that they need to make sure that their kids are happy and healthy you're going to create an additional layer of trauma for these kids
0: and uh, um the this is from, I'm reporting, reading from The Hill, the, the newspaper, the online newspaper. It says, President Biden calls legislation that's targeting transgender people in Florida close to sinful. President Biden said, it's just terrible what they're doing. Um, why would the president be weighing in on a a, a local bill here in the state of, of Florida and and be use wording that's that strong about it? Close to sinful and just terrible what they're doing. Um, I, I take it you agree with what the president's saying there.
2: I do agree with what he's saying. And honestly, Florida is a dumpster fire and it's a dumpster fire of DeSantis' design. And I feel like he's using his presidential platform to draw attention to it because, yeah, we see what's going on from inside of the state and we're fighting. And don't get me wrong, even when I leave this state, I am still fighting for Florida. I'm still fighting from afar. I still have ties to this state. My family is still here. I have friends and loved ones that are still here in the trans and LGBTQ community, and I am not giving up on them. I won't give up this
0: fight. Our guest is Heather St. Amon, an organizer and parent in the Tampa Bay area. She's leaving Florida with her transgender do- daughter. She says it's because of policies that are championed by Governor DeSantis. And speaking of those policies, that, that are, it sounds like there are 10 things that are coming down the pike in, in um In Florida, because the ACLU posted on its website tracking 10 anti LGBTQ bills in Florida, we're going to put that on WMNF.org early this afternoon. So you can uh, see them. But here are just a few of them. Uh, For example, HB 1421. It's titled Gender Clinical Interventions. It says this bill would codify what Florida medical boards did in 2022, restricting hormone therapies, puberty blockers, and surgeries for trans minors under most circumstances. So I guess this bill is similar to the one that they were they were considering yesterday. That one had more to do with judges and how judges are, are able to, what evidence they're able to weigh when they're making decisions about custody. There's also SB 254, which are treatments for sex reassignment. And it, a summary is this proposal purports to protect children from being subjected to sex reassignment prescriptions and procedures. And I could go on, of course, since there's 10 of them. I'm not going to read every, all, the, all 10. I will put a link, as I said, on WMNF.org later today. But a lot of it just seems like, um, OK, this is just me taking a, a, a wide angle view of it. It sounds like Florida legislators and the governor want to tell doctors and families what to do
2: they absolutely do and not only that you read the one where they're um where they want to ban like gender reassignment surgery and all of that for minors spoiler alert there is not anyone out there doing gender reassignment surgery on minors that is a falsehood that has been wholly like reported by the right that i don't understand where they're getting that from because it is not accurate
0: you know that 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 brings me to the next story I'd like to play. This one's a little bit longer, so um, I hope and I and it's very I think it's very interesting, and um, I I hope people uh, stay tuned for the whole thing because it's about three minutes long, but it gets to that point about the spoiler alert about that some of these things aren't even really happening, and wh- so why would we have legislation about this? So let's hear from our partners in Fort Myers from the WGCU. Carrie Barber reports on several bills that could harm the LGBTQ and trans community. They've that have been filed in the Florida legislature. And the expert that she talks to kind of gets to the philosophy of why these bills are, have even been introduced and how they can, how they've managed to be able to get so far when they're kind of oftentimes um, nothing burgers as, as, as you might say. So, so uh, here's that story from Carrie Barber.
4: Florida legislative session, at least six bills have been proposed that will stifle the lives of trans children and adolescents and their parents. For example, one would not allow a student to determine what pronouns they'd like to use. Several allow for intrusion into a physician's care of a trans person. And one would even remove a child receiving gender affirming care from their home. But this care has been around since at least the 1970s. So why all the attention now? Kellen E. Baker is the executive director of the Whitman-Walker Institute, which specializes in health care for LGBTQ people. He has a Ph.D. in health services, research, and policy.
3: When you look at the actual medical evidence, gender-affirming care has been provided in this country for decades. The first expert medical standard of care for gender-affirming care was compiled in 1979. None of this is new. This isn't a controversy. It isn't news. It isn't a new trend or a new phenomenon. Trans people have been around for a very long time. What's new is the boldness, if you will, of Governor DeSantis and other conservative politicians using trans people in such a nakedly political power play.
4: A point that is repeatedly stressed by those opposing care for trans people in Florida is that medical care should not be prescribed to children. But experts who work in the field say prepubescent children are not getting medical care, and they certainly are not getting surgery. Dr. Baker again.
3: For kids, young people before, the, before puberty, there's no medical intervention at all. Anyone who says that there is, is lying. All that you do with a transgender young person before puberty is to listen to them when they tell you who they are.
4: Experts agree that the population of trans people in the U.S. hovers around 1%, a tiny fraction of the population. So again, why all the attention for this minuscule group? Baker says that legislators are depending on the fact that voters are not well-educated when it comes to trans issues. Well,
3: they're essentially banking on the fact that trans people are such a small minority that many people have never knowingly met a trans person. So they're able to kind of project this lie of who trans people are into the minds of voters who don't otherwise know who a trans person is.
4: And he adds voters should know that the bigger problem is the government intrusion into people's lives.
3: Everyone needs to be aware that this isn't going to stop with trans people. This is about using government as a weapon to intrude on people's private lives.
4: The bills are currently in session and will be voted on in coming weeks. I'm Carrie Barber in Fort Myers.
0: Well, thanks to Carrie Barber and WGCU for that story. And so let's turn back now to our guest. Heather St. Amand is speaking to us in on Tuesday's Cafe broadcast. Tuesday Cafe brought to you by WMNF in Tampa. I'm Sean Kanan. Heather's an organizer and parent in the Tampa Bay area. So Heather, what were your thoughts about hearing from that expert uh, about what his take is on how people, uh, transgender people are medically treated?
2: I agree wholeheartedly. He spoke absolute truth. Um, When, like I said, when my daughter started her care, she was already in puberty. So That's that's accurate. Um, And I agree that. All of these laws are targeted at a base that is wholly uneducated, and that's why I shared my story. Um, It's not easy being super public, but I, I will continue to be because somebody has to be. And I'm doing this for my kid and for all the people that I love that are just like her.
0: One of those bills that was talked about in that story was SB 1320. It's called the Child Protection in Public Schools. The bill would forbid teachers from providing or asking a student for preferred pronouns. Okay, what in the world? Who in the world cares? Honestly, why in the world would you have to make a law, statewide law, to tell a teacher that they can't ask or a student for their preferred pronouns. How is that harmful in any way?
2: It's extremely harmful. Like exactly what is the problem with using some with respecting someone enough to refer to them the way that they would prefer to be referred to? Like, it's like calling me a different name. I'm not going to answer you. That's, that's not my name. Um, I just don't understand the rationale. I don't get
0: it. Kind of harkens back to when Muhammad Ali, when reporters would refuse to to call Muhammad Ali that name, they would refer to his old name and uh, his response and the title of the Dave's Iron book, What's My Name, Fool? So, um, sorry, I'm not sure why I got off on that tangent, but that's kind of what it reminds me of. It's almost like, um, you know, rather than just respecting people that uh, taking jabs at them for almost... Uh, no reason it seems like there's there's no reason to 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 disrespect someone in that way it seems
2: it's just othering people all this is is othering people that are different we're not all the same we're different and that's what makes this world a beautiful place and othering a whole section of the population and making them less than that's not okay
0: so that brings me to another point about this whole conversation, and you know, othering as you said, or or um, putting people giving them a little bit more stress than they already have. What is it about Is it that that transgender students or young people are so uh, carefree and have, have so very little to worry about that they can take it this additional uh, this, this additional stress that's coming at them from big, powerful people? I I imagine that their lives um, have some difficulty and maybe you can share what that's like for us.
2: 47% 47 of transgender folks by the time they reach 21 years old have attempted suicide. That is a startling number. If you can't respect somebody's pronouns enough to keep them alive, what does that say about you as a person?
0: I want to remind people that our guest is Heather St. Amand, an organizer and parent here in the Tampa Bay area. She's leaving Florida with her transgender daughter because of policies championed by Governor Ron DeSantis and the Florida legislature. You're listening to Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Canan broadcasting to you live on the 14th of March, 2023 from the studios of Tampa in Tampa, Florida of WMNF. And we can take some phone calls for the rest of the hour if you'd like to call us in at 813-239-9663. We'll also read your emails or texts, dj at wmnf.org. You can text 813-433-0885. Please sign your name so that we uh, can refer to you um, in the way that you'd like to be referred to. David writes in, he says... DeSantis has proven time and again to be an antisocial bully and I'm so tired of him targeting vulnerable communities. I'm convinced that he gives zero blank about this Florida and his culture war BS. He's only doing it to boost his campaign coffers from bigots and bullies around the country. It's sad. And David goes on to say one more thing. It's very disappointing that George Orwell's 1984 is shifting from fiction to nonfiction in DeSantis's world. He's the king of doublespeak, David says. So thank you for that email from David. Any thoughts there, uh, to Heather, on what David emailed us? I mean, DeSantis is
2: playing to his base beyond Florida right now. He wants everyone to say, "Ooh, look what he's doing in Florida." So he's playing to the bigots and the transphobes and the homophobes. The country is full of them, unfortunately. It's getting worse and he's playing to that base because he has presidential aspirations. That's exactly find this
0: Greg writes in and says all of Ron DeSantis' laws are human rights abuses and their purpose is fascist scapegoating. That's what Greg says. And uh, he used some uh, stronger language than that, but I'll, I'll try to keep it clean. And um, Karen writes in and says, I, it's just about being kind. I work with people in India and in the Philippines. I use they and them to avoid offending them since I don't know their pro- pronouns. So thank you to Karen and Dunedin. Um, I appreciate everybody writing in. So if, um, you can email us at dj at wmnf.org if you'd like to. Also, I should say that Greg wrote also wrote in about um, New College, which is a topic we've covered here a lot. He says that DeSantis's takeover of New College of Florida puts $29 million in donations at risk. There's a link to that article, so thank you for sending that. And you're listening to Tuesday Cafe, broadcasting from WMNF Tampa. I'm Sean Canaan, and my guest is Heather St. Amand, an organizer and parent in the Tampa Bay area who is leaving Florida with her transgender daughter because of the policies championed by Governor DeSantis. If if We're going to go to the phones in just a second, perhaps, but let's uh, talk about... Um, what your hopes are for this legislative session. With all of these bills coming through, it's very likely that all or almost all of them will pass. But if you had your way, if you could intervene somehow and maybe just connect with a, a, an important legislator who could make the difference and maybe just get rid of one of these bills, do you have one that, that you're really especially paying attention to that you you think is just worse than any of the others and, and really should be eliminated?
2: They're all terrible, but the ban on gender-affirming care is going to be the most harmful.
0: Do you think now that um, ban would be put into law if it passes in the Florida legislature, but it's already kind of, um, you know, not the way that the Florida surgeons are allowed to do it essentially starting this Thursday. What difference would it being in in the law make? Um,
2: The difference in it, being in the law is like nobody would have any options. You have no options anymore. Um, You're gonna have to leave state for treatment or find ways that are maybe not as safe to get the things that you need to get. And nobody wants anybody to have to be unsafe because they don't have access.
0: And the bill SB 254 that we were talking about earlier, that was heard and passed through committee yesterday in the state Senate, would make it a felony for doctors or other healthcare professionals to order puberty blockers. And you know, I, I I'm I'm sure that there are doctors out there who are oftentimes willing to take risks for their patients, but um, you know, being charged with a felony might draw the line. That might be the difference between uh, a doctor that's just um, you know going to going to go out on a limb. Versus someone who's real, willing to go to jail and get a felony. I think that that might be a, a big uh, dividing line.
2: A huge dividing line. And I would understand not wanting to lose your license and not get a felony. You know, like I I, I get that. It doesn't make it any less harmful. And it just, quite frankly, it sucks. Like that we're even in this position.
0: The bill's sponsor in the Senate, Clay Yarborough, who's a re- Republican in Jacksonville, told the committee yesterday that his measure is aimed at making Florida children safer. So tell me, Heather, do you think that his bill would make your daughter safer?
2: Yeah, If his bill would have passed um, back when she came out and back when we started gender-affirming care for her, I don't know that she would be around. Like, there were some very dark days. Um when you're like, it's not all sunshine and rainbows. Like, it's hard. It's hard for trans kids, even with gender affirming care. It's hard. It's hard being different.
0: I want to remind people that our guest is Heather St. Amand, an organizer and parent in the Tampa Bay area who's leaving Florida with her transgender daughter. So if you have anything you'd like to say, shout us, give us an email, dj at WMNF.org, or you can text 813-433-0885 or call 813-239-9663. We have Chris in Clearwater on the line. Hi, Chris, what would you like to say quickly? Uh, what? Sorry, I, Push the wrong button. All right, Chris, you should be on the air right now.
5: Uh, Yes, good. Uh, Yes, uh, this is Chris Steiner, Clearwater. I was uh, calling to to ask if maybe um, for your your child, if you've looked at uh, balancing, before balancing hormones, that can be helped by, uh, if your doctors have suggested or done uh, toxicity tests that... um, could show that uh, the hormones are being uh, messed up with, and then, you know, which would also indicate a propensity for hormonally-induced cancers, uh, which is uh, another concern. Uh, Toxicity tests like blood, hair, nails, urine, uh, feces, Uh, the blood shows current levels, but uh, those other tests uh, of the excretions would show uh, be more likely to show... Uh, long-term exposure, of course, everybody has a different ability to detoxify.
0: All right. Good question, Chris. Let's ask our guest, Heather St. Amand. What about that um, exposure to toxicity and and cancer risk?
2: A cancer med, so I'm not really concerned about a cancer risk. Um, My child has her levels checked on a regular basis for everything. That is part of her complete care. My child is very well taken care of. We have a team of doctors. I trust their medical advice and she is happy and healthy.
0: All right. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate you calling in. And if you'd like to join the conversation, 813-239-9663 or dj at wmnf.org. David writes, "Uh, one thing that bugs me the most about this anti-LGBTQ rhetoric and misinformation is the idea that gay and transgender people are grooming children he, David says that's BS. I find it disgusting. So um, Heather, maybe since you have uh, firsthand experience that some of us don't, um, were there groomers that that kind of uh, took hold of your child's mind and uh, turned turned her trans?
2: Ah, uh, no. <laughs> that is a huge, huge, huge fabrication. No, <laughs> no, she's not. There's no groomers. The LGBTQ community is not full of groomers and pedophiles as people would have you believe. (laughs) We're actually, you know, very attuned to taking care of our kids and making sure that our kids are safe, respected and happy.
0: I want to remind people that Heather St. Amand is an organizer and a parent in the Tampa Bay area. She's leaving Florida with her transgender daughter because of policies that have been championed by Governor DeSantis. And we're talking about some of the anti-LGBTQ bills that are moving through the Florida legislature this month. HB 1423, which is called Protection of Children... And it's, if this has to do with, uh, you know, if we keep hearing again and again about uh, drag queens, I'm not sure why all of a sudden um, drag queens are like the, um, the 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 worst thing in the world right now, according to some people. The bill would allow the state to fine or strip licenses from businesses that admit children to adult live performances, which depict or sim- simulate nudity, sexual conduct, sexual excitement, specific act- sexual activities, and more. Um so, what's, you know, this kind of goes back to maybe similar to the, the last question. There's this seems to be this obsession among certain parts of society with people who dress in drag or people who are trans or performances like this. Um, your thoughts, Heather.
2: Oh, boy, do I have thoughts on this. Um, I also sit on the board of Pasco Pride. That's something um, I joined the Pasco Pride organization in 2017. Um, and we had, a drag queen story hour um, for years and it was amazing and beautiful. There's nothing sexual about a drag queen story hour where these beautiful queens come and read amazing age appropriate stories to children in conservative clothing. Yes, they're in drag, but it's fun for the kids. However, the backlash that we got, we no longer do that right now because it's not safe. It's not safe. And they want to turn something beautiful into something ugly.
0: We have another call from Bobby in Sarasota. Let's uh, let's take that. Hi, Bobby. What would you like to say?
2: Hi. Um, interesting show. I just want to say that I wish our legislators and politicians would stop practicing medicine. This has started back with Tam Bondi and her war on narcotics and people in pain who needed narcotics, and you see how that worked out. Then they moved to abortion, and they're taking away women's health care rights and interfering between doctors and women's health care together. And now they're harassing the trans community, and they don't understand a thing about what they're doing. They just are coming from a prejudicial
3: politically
0: weighted direction. All right. Thank you, Bobby. Let's let our guest weigh in on what you said. So Heather, how would you respond to Bobby in Sarasota? I agree.
2: They are, they are doing that. I I wholeheartedly agree with you.
0: So what would be the, the um, alternative? Um, Let's say, uh, I don't know, like if, if, if there's a real problem out there in the world that really needs to be fixed, uh, What's the what's an alternative, be th- with a, be th- for a government a government? While well, I'm having difficulty speaking right now, but for a government to get involved and say, "Look, the medical community, in our opinion, is doing something wrong." Uh, at what point should there be a line drawn for the government to tell doctors how they can treat their patients? Because right? that seems to be a theme between a lot of these bills and a lot of the ones that Bobby brought up as well. Is there a way that you know that government can regulate? Doctors without actually uh, kind of telling them how to practice medicine.
2: I, I don't know, but I they do not need to be telling doctors how to practice medicine, and I think it would help to have a surgeon general in the state that wasn't a quack. Um, that would certainly help, um, but yeah. I'm sorry, <laughs> I kind of lost my train of thought there. Oh, that's
0: okay, I wanna, I want to. we're at the end of the show, so I want to thank you so much for coming on Tuesday Cafe today, Heather.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
0: I really appreciate you coming on. Heather St. Amand is an organizer and parent in the Tampa Bay area. She's leaving Florida with her transgender daughter because of policies championed by gov- Governor De- Ron DeSantis and the Florida legislature. I want to thank everyone for listening and I want to thank our phone screener, John Dunn, also my earlier guest, Thanks so much to Akile for coming on. You've been listening to Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Canaan, News and Public Affairs Director here at WMNF in Tampa. And we'll be back next Tuesday at 10 with another edition of Tuesday Cafe. During this time slot tomorrow, Shelley Reback will host Midpoint. Coming up next is Wave Makers with Janet and Tom Scherberger. They'll be speaking with Walter L. Smith II. He's the host of WMNF Sunday Forum. He'll be speaking on their show about environmental racism and moving away from coal power, among other topics. You're listening to The Tuesday Cafe, coming to you live on March 14th, 2023, from the studios of WMNF Tampa, St. Petersburg, Sarasota, and Lakeland. Thanks so much for listening, and thanks to everyone who contributes to WMNF.org. <music>